On this episode of the WNYPLA podcast, I am joined by former Syracuse wide receiver Andre Fontenet, and we will discuss his final season, his senior year, which was also Paul Pasqualoni's last year as head coach. And this episode of the WNYPLA podcast is brought to you by Thunder Drain. If you need a plumber and live in the greater Rochester area, text or call Chris at Thunder Drain, 585-500-1177, and check the Facebook page for coupons. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the WNY PLA Podcast, the Western New York Pride and Loyalty Administration. I am your humble host, Tim Sampsow. What a great show we have for you. We have former Churchill Childhood standout, former Syracuse wide receiver, current Spectrum News color man, and host and color commentator for Rock Sports Network, Mr. Andre Fontenet. And Andre is going to be talking with me about Paul Pascaloni's last season as Syracuse head coach. This is going to be a fantastic episode. And I do not forget, follow me at WNYPLA.com, at Tim the Commish on Twitter. Email Tim at WNYPLA.com. Check out the shop at WNYPLA.com. Blue and orange, blue and red, or blue and gold, whatever shade of blue, we got it for you. Bye-bye. Hey, don't forget, we go live and keep it current on Sunday nights with the weekly meeting video cast. The Bills season has just started. Syracuse's season's off to a good start. Lots to talk about with you. We take your comments and questions live on Facebook every Sunday night at 9.30. Without any further ado, this is going to be fantastic. Andre, it's great to have you. How you doing? I'm doing good, Tim, man. It's good to hear your voice. It's been a minute. Yeah, it, it sure has, man. You are a busy guy now. You are coaching at McQuaid. You are uh, a Spectrum TV commentator as well as a commentator for Rock Sports Net. How do you balance it all, man? Yo, dude, like every day I wake up and I get on the calendar and I'm I'm doing my to-do list every single day. I'm a month ahead of time. I got a big, uh, big calendar laminated on the wall so I can write everything in I got going on every single day. Really, from August to November, my schedule is pretty hectic. I don't really get too much time away. Well, I'm thrilled to have you with me. And before we get started, and before I start asking you questions about your senior year and and your experience with Paul Pasqualoni, what do you think so far about uh, this current Syracuse team? I, I know we've only seen the Liberty game as we record this but what are your thoughts on Dino Babers and the team so far? Well, this year is going to be a lot different than last year just because, um, you know, just because the quarterback situation is different. Uh, they lost several offensive linemen, so the offense has really been the catalyst for the entire team the last three or four years. Uh, this year is going to be exactly the opposite. The defense uh, at SU has really stepped up. They got a bunch of seniors and upperclassmen on the defensive line. Uh, and they're going to put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks this year. So look for the Syracuse defense to actually be uh, the true money makers for that squad as opposed to the offense, which has been years in the past. The offense has been killing it. So uh, don't, don't, don't be surprised, though, if the offense scores some points. Don't get me wrong. But uh, right now, so far this season, the defense has really stepped up to the plate. I, I completely agree. Anytime you shut out an FBS opponent, even if it is a new independent like Liberty, you're doing something right. 
Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, who you're playing against, Division One ball, scholarship football, scholarship football. And at the end of the day, Tim, everyone's running the same stuff. Like, running counter is running counter. It doesn't matter how you slice it. That's um, true. It's just a matter of how kids are bigger, faster, stronger. And then it's and then there's always two or three kids on a 1AA team, on an FCS team that could play it on a, on a FBS team. You know what I mean? It's sure. just a matter of opportunity. So, uh, you know, it's just uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing SU have a good year. Um, and, I, and I think that the Liberty game going against an FCS opponent like Liberty, who has a new coaching staff, uh, is, is great to start the season with. Absolutely. So now you got to play FBS ball. You were a scholarship kid. You were yeah. recruited out of Churchill Chilai. What was the recruiting process like for you uh, when you were in high school and getting ready to, to pick where you were going to go? Well, for me, Tim, the, uh, the recruiting process started when I was a sophomore. Uh, in high school, just and it was really just me and my high school coach and my parents doing things on our own, sending out tapes, sending out transcripts, sending out everything we can to everybody, uh, you know, contacting colleges, finding out who the local recruiter is, contacting that person, and just getting my information out there, getting my tape out there. It's a lot different nowadays. And nowadays, you just send an email, everything's digital, you know. But back in the day, you had to make a tape, you had to cut that tape, you had to you know, in and out the tape, you had to start, stop, record. It was really hectic. Sure. So and, it, was, it was a lot more difficult to get recruited back in the nineties as it is, you know, as it is uh, now. Yeah, I know. Um, the recruiting process was great for me and I, I enjoyed myself and uh, I had about 25 scholarship offers out of high school. And uh, I took all five of my official visits my senior year in high school. And uh, I chose to go to Syracuse because it was close to home. I had a chance to have my parents come see me pay play. Uh, all my boys, everyone on my crew, everyone came up on the weekends, and it was really like uh, every game was a home game for me. So uh, going to Syracuse was definitely uh, the right move for me, and I, I'm happy to. I was an honor to get recruited by them. And Coach David Walker, who's also from Rochester, New York, he's an Arundaquay graduate uh, in 1991, I believe. Okay. Uh, he's the one who recruited me uh, to go to Syracuse, and uh, he was our running backs coach at the time. And uh, he did a great job recruiting me, and, and, and I, I made the right decision. So, well, one, that's awesome. Two, so you said you were offered by 25 schools. What what was, like, the the biggest, like, most notable school to offer well, you? I had every school in the Big East offer me. Back then, there was the old Big East. Yes. Uh, everyone in the Big East offered me a scholarship except for Miami and Virginia Tech. Okay, so you had so six of the eight. So that's pretty good. Yeah, so you're talking, you're talking UConn, Pittsburgh, Boston College, Syracuse, you know, West Virginia, and all Temple. these guys, and then yeah. uh, in Temple, yeah, I went to Philadelphia, um, University of Buffalo. From you know, being a Rochester guy, University of Buffalo tried to get in, in on me. Um, a couple ACC schools, NC State, Wake Forest, um, you know, schools like that, UNC, they all offer me scholarships. So I was able to uh, have an experience and have the attention that so many people crave. And uh, it was a blessing to, be, to have that opportunity. And then, you know, like I said, I just decided to stay local and, and, and go to Syracuse. But I, I definitely had opportunities uh, to go elsewhere. I could have gone to NC State and played with Philip Rivers for four or five years. I could have gone to Ole Miss and played with Eli Manning if I wanted to. Instead, I chose to go to Syracuse. Wow. That's, you know, you, you just, you know, and I've known you now for years. And it's just now that, like, I'm processing all of that. Like, it's just now <laughs> as you say that. Like, wait a second. Think about the guys he went well, up in against. School, in high school, I was the, I think I was the number 
if I remember correctly, I think I was the number 33rd ranked receiver in the country and the number one ranked receiver in the state. So, um, I, you know, when you when you have those kind of numbers, I guess the offers come in. Yeah, and that's that's rare air for a New York, for a wide receiver from New York State. That is that's that is rare air even today. So you yep. mentioned Coach David Walker. What was Paul Pascaloni's role, if any, in recruiting you? Well, just like any, just like most Division One schools, I mean, the head coach is really the closer. You know, okay. like the assistant coach, the recruiter. He, he's recruit. He's the one I'm building a relationship with. He's the one I'm talking to on the phone with. You know, a couple nights a week. Uh, and and then you know you go you take your visits when you go to the college you bring your parents you spend the weekend at the college and everything like that um, but then when it comes to decision making time that's when the head coach really gets involved and get and becomes it's almost like a sales job you know what I mean it's like sure. he's the closer he's the one that he want he's the one that's looking to get that verbal commitment um, you know and, and that's what happened I mean coach was sitting in my in my in my living room here in Chilai and you know, when the time was right, we decided to commit to Syracuse and, and that's where we went. Coach Walker was there, Coach P was there and uh, my parents. So um, it was a good decision to go to Syracuse and it was certainly a stressful situation just trying to figure out where exactly I was going to go. But uh, I feel like I made the right decision at the end of the day. Did you did you do the hat thing like in front of the table? And all? <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that because it wasn't a surprise. When I had my press conference when I was in high school, um, I, everyone else already knew where, where I was going. It was already announced that I committed to Syracuse. Okay. But I will say this to you, Tim. Um, as much as everyone was proud of me and it was in the newspaper going to Syracuse, Tim, let me be honest with you. I did not know for a fact that I was going to Syracuse for sure because I had to get all nothing lower than a B on my entire senior year and all my Regents exams. I had to be able to qualify with the NCAA. Wow. So everyone and everyone back home is like, oh, it's great. You're going to Syracuse. We're so proud of you. But me and my parents and like a couple select people knew like, ah, it's not guaranteed that he's going because he still needs to qualify his senior year. So I really had to work hard my senior year when all my friends were doing late arrival and early dismissal and all that kind of stuff and messing around. I was on the grind senior year trying to make sure I qualified so I wasn't in the paper as a guy who couldn't qualify academically and get to college. And that there is a little known and forgotten process that still exists today in uh, even if you want to go Division three, you still have to get approved through the NCAA clearinghouse. It's a, that's a fact. Yep. That, and, and that's difficult. So you graduated from Churchill Chilai in 2000, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so Donovan McNabb had just left a couple years prior, and mm-hmm. uh, the Orange were coming off a 7-5 and record with a win in the Music City Bowl over Kentucky. What was yep. the feeling in the locker room when you arrived at Syracuse? Well, I think that they were, you know, there's been so much history, so everyone was expecting, just because we're Syracuse, I think that everyone was expecting everything to go so much smoother than, you know, it really did for that four or five years that I was there. I felt that, you know, um, I think that we we might have been a little cocky just because we've had so much success throughout the 90s, then all of a sudden you hit the 2000s, and you're expecting to have a lot of that same success. Um and, you know, we had some great, we had some big time recruits on our team too. So we had several guys that played in the NFL as well. So, it, you know, um, it was, we were very, we were looking forward to having a good, a good year uh, in that early 2000. Cause like you said, we just came off a bowl game. The fact that we didn't go to a bowl in 2000 uh, was a big shock to everybody right. uh, in the, in the program. And cause you know, coming in the camp, you expect like, you just expect like, okay, we're going to win six, seven, eight games again and, and go to a bowl. Unfortunately, 
uh, we went six and five, and that, and that we didn't end up getting invited to a bowl game. And and you and I are old enough, you know, we're roughly the same age, and, and we remember watching Syracuse's kids, and the dome was always packed, and they were always in the top twenty-five. It, it, you know, it was just commonplace that you had a good Syracuse team. You know, it's funny that the the late '80s and through the '90s, you know, here in Rochester, we were. We were quite quite lucky. We had a very competitive Syracuse team to our east, and you know the winningest regular season football team of the decade on the west, and the Bills. So oh, it was, boy, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, listen, you're right. yeah, you're right. I, I know I'm right. Remember, <laughs> this is the WNYPLA. I'm always uh-huh. right. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Fair uh, enough. But so. In 2001, you guys go 10 and three. And you beat mm-hmm. Kansas State at the Insight Bowl. You just missed out on a BCS bid. I remember that game against Kansas State. You guys walloped them. It wasn't even close. So now you're building a little bit of momentum, but then it goes backwards. 2002, you guys go forning. Mm-hmm. It's the only losing season under Paul Pasqualoni in his 14 years. His only true losing season. What was the feeling? with the team at this point, was Pascaloni starting to feel some pressure? Did you see a change in attitude or behavior from him at this point after the four and eight season? Well, the truth is, is that, you know, in 2001, like you said, we won, we won 10 games and we, eight of those 10, eight of those 10 wins came eight in a row. Right. Okay. Cause we lost the first two games of the season. Then we won eight straight. And then we got walloped by Miami back when they had, Willis McGahee, Ken Dorsey, Jeremy Shockey. I was at that those game. Guys. Yeah, they, they whooped us. Yep. And then uh, and then we go ahead and beat Boston College the next week, and then we go on and, and, and win the bowl game. But, you know, in 2001, we won so many games, and it's really for two reasons. One, because R.J. Anderson was able to manage the game as a quarterback. He didn't throw a lot of interceptions. He just threw the ball when he had to, threw it to the right person, didn't do too much but he managed the game. We didn't ask him to win the game. We just asked him not to lose the game. And that's exactly what he did. And the only, and the other reason why we were so successful in that year is because we had to win three and no one else did point blank period. You know, we had the best defensive end in football who at the time led the country and who broke the sack record uh, in the NCAA. And, uh, and, and he was the man. So our offense really only had to go 50 yards or less in, you know, three or four drives every game because Dwight would always get, a sack fumble early on in the series. So uh, in 2001, it's like, you know, you got this great senior first round draft pick. And then all of a sudden in 2002, like that guy, those guys graduate and we lost a lot of seniors and we lost a lot of leadership. And, uh, and I, and again, I think it was one of those situations where we just expected because for years we've had so much success. It was almost like we expected it to happen, whether we worked hard or not, we just expected us to win six, seven games. And that was the longest year of my life in football. Cause we went four and eight, and it was like we had so much success the year the year before, and it was just the total opposite the next year. It was like a, a collapse, and uh, we really fell apart. So just a little bit of complacency. Let me let me just ask you this: What was Dwight Freeney like in the locker room and to play with? Uh, I mean, what was what was Dwight Freeney like? Dwight was a leader. Dwight was an awesome guy. He treated everybody because I mean he knew he knew obviously being 19, 20, 21 years old, he knew he was going to the NFL, but he didn't treat anybody like that. Dwight was a super cool guy, whether you were a freshman or whether you were a senior. He treated everyone with respect. He talked to everybody. He didn't make anyone feel like they weren't part of the team or that they, they couldn't talk to him because he was Dwight Freeney. 
no, that wasn't the case, man. Dwight Freeman is a super cool guy. And uh, if I saw him today, I haven't talked to Dwight in probably 10 years or so, maybe 15 years now. No, I'd say probably about 10 years since the last time I spoke to Dwight. But if I saw him today, I'm sure he would act like nothing had ever changed and, and we would catch right up with no problems. That's that's just awesome. Like, that's legitimately awesome. <laughs> So well, it's cool. It's cool though because you know when you when you get a chance to play at that level, whether you go to the league or you don't go to the league, someone on that team is going to the league. So it's always nice to see guys that you played with find success. Guys like uh, Dwight Freeney and David Tyree, who had that big catch for the Giants. You know Adam Terry, who played six seven years in the NFL. Dee Brown played for the Carolina Panthers. You know there's guys for days. There's so many great Syracuse graduates that are playing in the NFL even today that right. people don't even know. Oh, that guy went to Syracuse. I didn't even know. Linemen, linebackers, defensive end, Chandler Jones, you know, guys like that who uh, who are, are, are making the mark and keeping that Syracuse brand along with them. You, you know, and, and we'll get into a little bit the, the drop in the program at the end here, but all those guys you mentioned and the guys that came before them is, is exactly why, and I, I'm sure you've seen NFL Network's top 10 shows. You know, mm-hmm. Syracuse made that list of football factories. I think they were like, Number eight, and and that's why. I mean, there is a legacy to Syracuse football. So, yeah. Overall, what was it like to play and learn under Coach Paul Pasqualoni? Well, you know, Coach is a defensive guy, so you're not learning a ton of football per se from Coach P. You're not learning technique. You're not learning the scheme from Coach P. Um, George Zulion was our offensive coordinator. And then my receivers coach, Dennis Goldman, they obviously worked with us closely, a lot closer than the head coach did. Coach P was always a defensive guy, like I said. So he worked more with the linebackers. He was with the D-line all the time. Um, So I didn't really get coached by him day-to-day in practice. It was more like I was managed by him because he was the head coach. So there were certain things that had to go through him. However, the day-to-day grind, the day-to-day meetings that we had was really more – more with the with the assistant coaches, and I think that's pretty consistent, probably throughout the country. Okay, would you say that he was, you know, the little bit that you got to talk to him? Mm-hmm. Would you call him a warm person? <laughs> no. Okay. No, I wouldn't call him a warm person. All I'm right. And I'm not saying he's a bad person. That's just not. That's just never been his style. I mean, you know, he, he's the kind of person that's very businesslike. He's he's here to do a job. He's here to go to work today, and he's extremely focused on the task at hand. So, Coach P is the kind of guy that his face is so his his nose is so far in the playbook that he'll walk down the hallway and walk right past you like you're not even there. He's so <laughs> focused on whatever it is that he has going on at the moment. So, um, you know, but the relationship was great, and and Coach P was super cool at the time whenever he had to be and wherever he had to meet. Um, you know, I give him nothing but respect, man. He's a he's a he's a legend in in, in college football, and, and more importantly, he's a legend uh, in the Syracuse community. Well, we will get to that. That that is that is a huge question. I'm going to ask you towards the end here of this interview. So overall, okay. you would say that he uh, instead of a smile, he kept a scowl, huh? That just seems to be what it is, and that's well, fine. I wouldn't call it a scowl. I call it. Straight face. Just a straight. <laughs> so he'd be a good poker player. Yeah. All right. So in 2003, you guys went six and six. And yep. now we're coming up on your last season, 2004 here. What do you remember about the feeling around the team from the campus 
the coaches, the media, and the fans going into this season? Well, I think that uh, back in 2004, I was a senior, and I think that, you know, uh, the guys that I came in with, there was about 15 of us that were getting ready to graduate together. And excuse my language, but we were not about the bullshit. We We worked so hard. And we talked about it. That's time to turn things back around. We have guys that have played before us that we got to make proud. We got coaches that our jobs are on the line. Um, it's time to get things together. Unfortunately, the coaches didn't make it through the process after the season ended. But nonetheless, I mean, we were on our grind. And uh, we, we talked about it ahead of time. And um, senior leadership really took over that team in 2004. And we had a great year. We lost some close games. You know, we played four right down to the wire. And they're the top 25 team. Um, we lost a lot of close games that year, but uh, 2004 was a great year. We went to the bowl game. We ended up losing the bowl game, but we went, and that was the first time we had been in three or four years. So, um, you know, we were all excited to be there. So, before we get into the football part, in my research of this, in June of that season, the F- the then athletic director, the legendary Jay Krauthammel, announced uh-huh. that. Syracuse was going to change the nickname from Orangeman to Orange. Now, uh-huh. now, did the changes take place? I couldn't find this answer, so I'm going to ask you. Was the 2004 football season, was that the last season of the Orangeman, or was that the first season of the Orange? Tim, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Somebody, somebody's going to hit me up at Tim the Commissioner. Find the WMYPLA page on Facebook and and hit us up with an answer to that. I, I, when did Syracuse start going by the orange? So, I don't know. So they, I know the change was made, but I think it was after, but I can't remember. So they announced it in June, and they said it was going to start next season. But did that mean... But did that mean 2005, like, proper, or did that mean the school year? So would that have been you guys all the way through? I, I just, it, that's a little cloudy. But that that's okay. That was just something very interesting. I knew that was right <laughs> around. I knew that was yeah, right the around the one. change. Um, but, yeah, so. This, that's a good question. So, I don't know. That's all right. So the season starts with, for you guys with a brand-new quarterback. You have true sophomore Perry Patterson, how yep, was it? Play- yeah, lefty. That's right, Southpaw. How was it playing with Perry, and how did Perry grow and adjust as the season went on? Well, he did a lot of growing and adjusting. You know, I remember we opened the season against Purdue at Purdue, and we started true freshman Joe Fields, mm-hmm. who ended up moving to safety and playing a year or two in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers later on in his career. That's right. But something. But Joe was a pretty highly touted quarterback so he came in as a true freshman and ended up starting that Purdue game first first play of that game Joe throws a quick little out route to the tight end and throws it right into the dirt I said oh boy I, maybe Joe's not our starter you know what I mean right after two or, after two or three games maybe one or two games uh you know Perry ended up taking over um and becoming the the, the, the starter and, and we and our offense really started to take off um because we had two senior receivers, myself and Jared Jones, uh, we were both seniors and we had been through the process. So it was really important to us to, A, have a successful senior year. But the other thing was to help Perry along and make things easy for him as senior receivers on our little sophomore quarterback. 
we had to make things easy for us. So I'm sure that things got a little bit more difficult for Perry going into his junior year because he didn't really have too many upper class in that receiver to help him out and make things easy on him. You know what I mean? And he had a new head coach too. So real quick, Joe Fields was 8 of 15 for 93 yards and interception. Perry Mm -hmm. did get in. He was 7 of 10 for 64 yards. And Jarrett Jones got in. He was 0 for 1. Um well, you, I think that I think that was a uh, that was a, fake a botched, botched something. Yeah. I think it was a botched field goal because he was a holder on the field goal team. Okay, I think it was a bad snap, so he just tried to throw it, and it counted as a, as a as a throw. Do you remember the quarterback for Purdue in that game? Uh, don't tell me. Don't I tell won't. me. Don't I won't tell, tell you. Uh, I won't tell you. What, I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't Drew Brees. Nope. This is after um, Drew Brees. Oh, 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 Kyle Orton. Yes, Kyle Orton, Kyle Orton. For, Kyle former Orton. Chicago and Bear. Receiver, they had a receiver, Taylor, Taylor Stubblefield? I believe, let me see here. Yep, they did have Taylor Stubble, Stubblefield. He had and five. They killed us. They yeah. killed us. They beat us 51 to like three that day. It was Fi- terrible. 51 to nothing. And the oh, game was. You had to rub it in. Sorry. And, and let me rub it in a little bit more. It was on national TV, I might add. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Stubblefield had five catches for 121, two touchdowns. Orton in the game, by the way, the one year Kyle Orton was with the Bills winning season, un- under Doug Marone, by the way. Uh, or- there she's got. Orton, uh, 16 of 30 for 287. He had four touchdowns in that game. Um, right. Yeah, he had, he, had a, he had a good game. Um, he, <laughs> he, he did all right. Obviously, frust- so. obviously frustrated. Were you or the team feeling pressure from the campus, from the media, from the fans? I guess, you know, the what I remember of that season is I just felt like us as fans, as we looked at Pascaloni, we were just like, we're tired of him. We want something different. Like, were you, were you feeling that at all? Was I what? Were you feeling that at all? Were you feeling any of that pressure? coming from the fan base or the media or anything like that? Uh, no, I don't know. I think that we were extremely confident, so we expected things to go smoothly. Um, so whatever was going on in the media and with the fans and stuff, and people like I understand, people expect a, a, an automatic consistent winner. Right. Um, but I didn't feel pressure. I wouldn't say we felt pressure. I'd say that um, we just we just did what we always did. We, we, we played to the best of our ability, and I mean – Listen, this is my senior year, so I'm like, I'm not even worried about the coaches. I'm more worried about what's going to happen to me. I got to graduate, and I got to try and make it to the NFL. So I wasn't worried about the coaches. I was worried about my teammates, and I was worried about myself. And, but, and what did you? And you did graduate. What did you? What uh, kind of degree did you graduate with? Uh, speech communications, public speaking. Good for you. And uh, also, I majored in sociology. I had a dual major, and I minored in African American studies. So, do, do you hear and that? Tim, yeah. And Tim, uh, just a couple weeks ago, I just finished my master's. Yes, right. Congratulations on that. That that is Thank right. You. I did hear that, and that's that's just great. So, Syracuse fans, you're listening to a genius here. Just so you, <laughs> I'm talking about Andre, not me. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm talking about Andre the genius, not your humble host here. Um, So you guys do rebound now. You you stay non-conference. You you go to UB, get a nice win over them, and then you beat Cincinnati, who at that time was still in Conference USA. This was 
just before yeah. the big turnover in conferences. Um, you guys beat Cincinnati, but man, you guys tackled a really tough out of conference schedule this year. I mean, Cincinnati was on their way up in, in conference USA, eventually to the big East. Uh-huh. And then, but you had at Purdue at Virginia who was ranked and at Florida and you hosted Florida state. Yep. You, you know, you, unfortunately you guys all lose three all of those from- games that you just mentioned that we lost those games. Tim. So I'll tell you what, we had an opportunity to win each and every one of those games. Yep. And we blew it. Yep. Each and every one of those games. We had Florida state, down to the wire, could have, would have, should have. I think we fumbled the ball just before halftime going into the end zone. We would have had a 10-point lead go to the halftime if we would have scored. Yep. You know, Virginia, we played really well. They, they were better than us, but we played well on the road. We just couldn't get the job done, you know. And uh, who was the other one you said that we lost to? Uh, Virginia. You guys lost to Virginia 31-10 to 10, and, and then uh-huh. Purdue. And uh-huh. then, you know, I mean, at the time, West Virginia was still in the Big East. You guys had, right. and then Purdue's Purdue's opening the season. You know, we got a true freshman quarterback starting. So, you know, I guess I guess my expectations weren't that high, uh, especially to open the season when you have an 18 year old who was just in high school three months before that. Right. And the Virginia game at the time they were ranked number 12. You guys went to Scott Stadium, lost that game 31 to 10, but yep. you were in it. Um, yeah, I think two, I had two or three catches or something. Yeah, you did. Um, you Patterson that game was fifteen to twenty three for one forty one, hung in there mm-hmm. against uh, Marquise Hagens of Virginia, and oh, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. torched you guys. He's only eleven to twelve, but for two oh two, he only yeah. had one touchdown. Yeah. But you guys had a two headed monster at running back that season with Walter Reyes and Damian Rhodes. Talk Correct. a little bit about those two guys and their kind of dynamics uh, with the team. Well, Walter came in with me as a freshman, right. and uh, and Damien was a little bit behind us, but Damien caught on very quickly as soon as he came in as a true freshman. Damien, uh, I mean, he didn't start over Walter, but I mean, he was competing for playing time uh, with Walter. So uh, you're right; it was definitely a dual a dual tailback system where um, we didn't feel any drop off when uh, when Walter was a lot of the game, and we have this freshman Damien Rhodes who was from Syracuse come into the game. And there was no drop off, so I mean, we just picked up right where we left off, and uh, Damian uh, Damian ended up having a great career at SU, and obviously as did Walter. I I remember Walter Reyes like yesterday. Walter Reyes was was great. No no disrespect to Damian, but Walter Walter sticks out. I mean, Walter really right. really sticks out. Going back to that Florida State game, they were ranked number eight at the time. You guys were up ten to three at the half. Unfortunately, though, you you were outscored fourteen to three in the second half. Lost that game, seventeen thirteen. Yeah. Um, as great as as great as Walter was, I think he fumbled. I think I had a big catch, and we just before halftime, mm-hmm. and on third down, and we go down and we get to like the four yard line, and we're up by seven or ten or whatever you just said, mm-hmm. and then Walter actually fumbled going into the end zone, and. Uh, like you said, they ended up scoring 14 in the second half. We only scored three. Game over. But if we would have scored that touchdown, boy. It's a different game. We, it's a, it's a different beat, game. We would have beat the number eight team in the country. But, we, you know, we just things just wasn't – it wasn't in our in our playing cards. By the way, your stats for that game, you had three catches for 55 yards. Okay. In yep. that game. Yep. 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 I, I mean, trust me. I don't, that, was I, usually, that was usually the, the norm for me. You know, three, four catches, two, three catches. 
you know, 50, 60 yards, something like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of intermediate throws. There wasn't a ton downfield. Um, but I was 6'3", 220 pounds, so I wasn't exactly a speed to running past D'Angelo Hall, you know what I mean? That's so, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I understand. I understand completely. So you guys do rebound, though. Uh, you know, you you're, you win 41-31 over Rutgers in a high-scoring game, and you're 3-4 uh-huh. and four with only four games left in the season. Let's keep that in mind here. You're three At this time, you're still playing an 11-game regular season and not the 12 that we're accustomed to today. How were you guys feeling physically, mentally, and emotionally after this stretch of games? It, it had to have felt like a gauntlet. Yeah, I mean, you know, because now, now, I mean, earlier you were talking about pressure. Now you're starting to think about the pressure on you. you got four games left. you got to win three of these last four to be bowl eligible. I think that's exactly what we did. Um, but certainly you, fought, you start feeling that pressure. I felt more pressure wanting to go to a bowl for myself and for my guys that I graduated with more than I was worried about the fans or the coaches even. I think it was more about get to the bowl game because that's a goal of ours and, you know, this is going to be our last season. Like, we got to get it done. We don't have a choice. So, speaking of that, we're maybe not you so much because you were graduating. It was your last season. But were your teammates at this point, at three and four, were they, was there a feeling that a change could be happening at head coach? And were there guys in the locker room that were maybe hoping for one? Now, at that point, things that are – things that start to change, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think that we all started now. Now the media is really on us, especially the local media. You know, right. it's, it, it, they're, they're asking about it every, every interview, pre and post game interview. Hell, they'd ask about it. And he'd be standing right next to you and they'd ask you about it. You know? Wow. Um, so it, it became a difficult situation uh, as the season progressed, as we, we, we didn't start off as hot as we wanted to. So um, and we knew, like I said, we had to win 75% of our last game. So, um, yeah, I think we felt I think we felt a little bit of pressure at that point, um, but we got the job done. We and, got and, the job done, and that's new for for the program and for many of you know the guys on that team as well. And and we have to keep in mind too, we're talking about college football. We're talking about eighteen to twenty two year old, you know, young adults here. We're not talking about pros making. Yep. Hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars. We're still. Th- we but know- isn't it crazy, Tim? Isn't it crazy though that you got kids essentially like you said 18 to 22 23 years old mm-hmm. and the job and the, the 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 livelihood of a grown man lies in the hand of an 18 year old yeah that's crazy to me it is i've coached college football before i've coached college football and it's like just run the slant you know what i mean like, right i do it do what i'm coaching you to do do what i'm asking you to do i promise you it's right and my job is on the line, dude. So I need you to perform. You know? I never coached a college sport, but but I I've coached varsity wrestling, and and the pressure to get fired was never on me. But that will just do what I tell you. It will work, yeah, dude. That, yeah, that's real. You. And then, but the thing about that's awesome about coaching is that when a kid does mess something up consistently, then you coach him to do it right, and then finally he does it right without you asking him to do it right, and then he looks over at you. And he smiles. I'm like, yes, finally. You oh, get it right. it's like, a moment of euphoria. A year and a half on that, you know? Oh, it's a moment of euphoria. You, 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 yeah. you are just, you're giddy over it. You're absolutely giddy. I, I remember those moments vividly. I remember telling a kid once to hit a move 
and he hit it right. We even had a code word for the move, and he hit it right, and they went out of bounds, and he, he got up, he pointed me, he goes, I did that for you, coach. And my my head right. was, like, That's exploding. Right. It was great. Right. So speaking That's of head exploding, it. speaking of head exploding, you guys beat UConn at home, uh-huh. and you score. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What a thrill. Can you describe the play and the moment? I mean, we know you guys won, but talk about your touchdown. Well, it's certainly difficult, Tim, because you, you get into high school, and, you, you know, I get out of high school, and I'm the man. You know, I'm used to scoring yeah. once, twice, three times a game, and then all of a sudden you get to college, and you look over, and, oh, there goes David Tyree. Like, everybody's the man, you know? So it's, yeah. So you don't – so I didn't, I didn't score as many touchdowns, per se, as I thought I was going to. I had a couple opportunities, but um, – you know, so like you said, it was euphoric. I mean, I scored this touchdown. We throw Hail Mary at just before halftime. Perry throws it up. Tip ball goes right into my hands, you know, so it works itself out. Um, but it was it was a great feeling, A, because, I, you know, I helped the team win, you know. Sure. And, and B, it was, it was it was UConn, you know. So I know UConn just because Syracuse, being a growing-up a Syracuse fan, like Syracuse-UConn basketball, like I knew it was a big deal. Come to find out, you know, a couple years later, several years later, I coach, I'm coaching football at University of Maine. Yep. Well, we hired we hired a new defensive backs coach, a kid named MJ Eastap. Okay. Well, come to find out, MJ was the defensive back on UConn who tipped that ball right to me for the touchdown. So, <laughs> so I'm coaching with this guy at University of Maine, and I'm talking a lot of trash to him just because, hey, I'm a Syracuse graduate. We beat the mess out of UConn, but more importantly, I scored a touchdown, and it was thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, that's a big win. And you, but now the air comes out of the tires. You go down to Philly to play Temple. Oh, yeah. Beep. 34-24, Temple beats the Qs. It's the second straight year that Temple has beat Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And now you're 5-5 five and five with one regular season game left. Yeah. So, because oh, I, I forgot the because I forgot to mention, you guys also beat it. You guys beat it thirty eight thirty one. That was before. That was just after the UConn game. So you're five yeah. and four. You beat it in the dome. You guys are rolling. You scored forty one points over UConn and thirty one thirty eight points over it. And then the air kind of comes out of the tires here. What happened in Philly that day? Oh gosh. Um. You know, we, I, geez, if I remember correctly, I think we missed, ah, geez, they just beat us, bro. No, you know what it was? It was, and and not to make an excuse, but if I remember correctly, I feel like it was terrible weather. Probably. It was, it was, it was, the wind was swirling. I think they hit it. They kicked a sky, they scored first. Then they kick a sky kick straight up in the air. They recover it. You know what I mean? Now they're up 14 to zip and we're like, you know, by the time we got ourselves together, it was a little bit too little, too late, you know. Um, sure. And we're on the and we're on the road. So anytime you give a home team that momentum, especially a home team that doesn't traditionally do too much winning, heck, you know what I mean. You got to get yourself together pretty quickly. And we didn't. Unfortunately, we didn't do that. Uh, and they beat us. And it was a it was a terrible game because you know that was our opportunity to have a seven win season, which was a goal of ours. And uh, obviously, with, with with in that situation, we could only end up winning six games. Sure. Um, but it's certainly a long ride home, even though Philly and Syracuse aren't all that far away and it's not a long flight. It felt like one of those long, 
East Coast to West Coast flights because it's very quiet on a plane when you lose the tempo. Yeah, they they uh, they were one and eight going into that game. Not the not oh. the yeah. I'm not trying to rub it in, but that's <laughs> that's what it was. Um, yeah, Panthers... that's probably why we lost. We were probably a little co- a little cocky going in there, especially thinking, oh, they got lucky on us last year. Who th- who would have thought that they would have got lucky on us two years in a row? Sure. A- absolutely. Perry in that game, Patterson, 20 of 35 for 240 and a pick. Walter Washington was Temple's quarterback. He was 10 of 19 yep. for 130 and a touchdown. Uh, in that game, Damian Rhodes, in a losing effort, 29 carries, 200 yards, three touchdowns. Yep. He, and uh, he also had two receptions for 33 yards. He had He had a day. Uh, Reyes was not even in the, he was not even playing and Walter Washington was the dual threat as he had 185 yards on 29 carries and three touchdowns. Correct. What was, what, I don't mean to make this sound so bluntly, but as we all know, Pasquale was and is a defensive guy. What was wrong with the defense this season? In 2004. Oh, geez, what was wrong with the defense in 04? Gosh, you really throw me back, Tim. I, I gotta go. I gotta go back and remember. That's okay. Um, if I remember correctly, I think we graduated a lot of kids in 2003. Okay. Um, I think we. I think we had a lot of underclassmen playing. Um, and like you said, I mean, the schedule wasn't exactly easy. We're playing at Purdue, which is one of the top. Big Ten schools, especially in a passing game, you know what Drew Brees does. He throws the ball, mm-hmm. and he already established that Purdue throwing the ball thing. Yeah, at that time, yeah, at that time they were still playing tiller ball with Joe Tiller as their head coach, yeah. and Kyle Orton yeah. had taken over, and he was yeah. clearly the heir apparent to Brees. Purdue didn't. Re- I mean, they may have dropped off a little bit, but they didn't start having their right. downward spin until after Orton had left. So right. absolutely. Right. So we had a bunch of underclassmen, and then we got to play against Florida State. You know, they're a top-10 team. We got to play against at Purdue with a true freshman quarterback and a young defense, you know, and then we go and lose to a team that's, you know, maybe a little underrated but not all that great in Temple. You know, so I just think that we, we were young and we were naive that year. Um, and then, I mean, and then we show the same things again because then we go against the bowl game against Georgia Tech and they whoop us all over again. So um, I think that it was just – full of young players. We had some seniors in some spots, some guys that I was getting ready to graduate with, but we had a lot of sophomores starting their first games that year. You know, injuries and and young kids playing seems to be a a recipe for disaster. And and at that time, there was still cachet to playing at Syracuse. It was still, look at me, I'm at Syracuse. You can all go screw yourselves. I mean, you know what I mean. So now you're five and five with one regular season game left. You are at number seventeen Boston College. Tom who O'Brien, we who we hate. Tom O'Brien <laughs> was the head coach. Uh-huh. The, the starting quarterback for the season was Ryan Peterson. He was injured. Uh-huh. Do you remember who you played up against that day? Yeah, that was a uh, a young Matt Ryan. That was that was a freshman, Matty Ice. Ryan, yeah, yeah, we whooped him. We whooped him. You did. Forty-one, <laughs> fourteen. You guys, yeah. you guys kicked the crap out of him. He was not awful, though. I mean, twenty-four, fifty-one, two hundred yards, one touchdown, three picks. Perry Patterson. You guys crushed Boston College. Perry was nine of sixteen for eighty-eight yards and two picks. Right. How, how well, that? the reason why we the reason why we won that game was because 
of, if you remember, Diamond Ferry. Yes. The Diamond Ferry went off that game. He played offense, defense, and special teams and scored touchdowns on offense, defense, and special teams. So um, we didn't have to throw the ball all that much because Diamond had a pick six. Diamond had a had a punt return for a touchdown. I mean, you know, we, we didn't we didn't have to do too much on offense that day. It's Diamond Ferry's legacy right there. The one-man right. record oh, crew against Boston College. So now, <laughs> so you are now bowl eligible. It, it, yep. You guys hit, was it a feeling of accomplishment or was it more, phew, we got that one off the bat? <laughs> I think it was a little bit of, I think it was a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I mean, it was a goal of ours, but when you're, when you're, when you're that close to not getting it, I think that the relief of actually accomplishing that goal was something that we uh, were looking forward to. And uh, it was certainly, yeah, it was relief, but it was also like, okay, let's go get it now. We got, we got a couple more weeks left to play. We had another opportunity to show what we got. And, uh, and, and so we, we went down to Orlando and played the game. Before we get to that, you guys beat Boston College. At this point, do you – did you feel that Pasqualoni was still on the hot seat or was crushing the 17th-ranked team on the road enough to get the critics off of his back? I thought it was enough. I thought it was enough just because it was Boston College, at Boston College. Um, they, if they won that game, they were going to the Fiesta Bowl, so their fans were having their, having their uh, Tostitos Fiesta chips all over the field and all in the crowd talking trash. I forgot so, about so. that. Yeah, and, and so we, it was a goal of ours to, you know, and the, and the Big East is getting ready to fold as well. So we want to finish things off uh, the right way. And uh, it was big, you know, Boston College is obviously a rival of Syracuse in all sports no matter what. So yeah. uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a big game, and it was a big win. And, uh, yeah, I hate those guys. And, and, and then the other guy from Rochester is Jasmine Williams. And Jasmine yes. Williams went to, pit, went to pit for Sutherland, and he was the starting DB for that Boston College team that we beat so bad. Um, so I, I kind of hold that over his head once in a while. It, you know, when I think of Jasmine Williams, I always wonder why on earth did BC put him in the secondary? He was one of the most dominating running backs and most dynamic running backs Section 5 ever produced. I, yeah. You yeah, know, what a yeah. great athlete he was. I, I, yeah. I remember him very well. So before we get to the bowl game, there's a little bit of turmoil up at the top of the hill, for lack of a better term. On December 15th, Dr. Daryl Gross is announced as a new athletic director replacing longtime AD Jake Krauthammel, who had retired. Before we get to Daryl Gross, did you ever get to meet and talk to Krauthammel during your time at Syracuse, and what was he like? Absolutely. Jake was extremely involved. He'd be at practice. He'd talk with the players. Um, you know, I never, I never had like one-on-one meetings with him in his office or anything like that. But um, from what I knew of him and from what the little bit I did talk to him, he was very great guy, very stand-up guy. Uh, seemed to always be honest with people, honest about his expectations. Uh, the only thing that used to bother us was that he used to sit at practice and sit on the stand in the end zone during practice. And and during that two-hour practice, I swear he smoked a whole entire pack of cigarettes. Wow. But besides besides that, uh, he, you know, uh, Jake Crockham was, was was a great guy. Wow. And you guys were practicing outside back then, right? You didn't have an indoor yeah, facility. Yeah, we, we right back to Manly. There was two two grass fields and then two turf fields. Um, but we usually practiced on the grass. Then if it was a home game, we would practice in the Carrier Dome on, like, 
Thursday or something like that he, of a home week. He wouldn't smoke in the dome, would he? Uh, no, no, no. I don't think he would. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think he would. Wow. There you go. Breaking, breaking news, folks. Jake Rowhammer was, <laughs> was a chain smoker. You heard it here. <laughs> and burns down the carrier. Dome. And burns. <laughs> so... Gross is named as the AD. He comes over after being the longtime assistant AD at USC. Mm -hmm. Did you get to meet Daryl Gross? And what did you think of him initially? Yo, Daryl Gross, I met him many times. I was in California not too long ago and had a chance to talk to him as well because he's out in L.A. Uh, right now. Um, yeah, Derek Gross was a great guy, you know. And it was it was good for me, though, just being a, a black kid from Chile, like seeing this this black guy become an athletic director, you know, and, and Daryl Gross was one of the reasons why I decided to get my master's in athletic administration because uh, he was the first black administrator that I had seen that was successful. So uh, he was a, he was a, a mentor to me. Um, I, well, I shouldn't say a mentor. He was more an influencer to me. You yeah. know, he influenced me to, to do different things and realize that uh, certain goals were attainable. Uh, it's gone about the right way. So, so uh, Daryl Gross was a great AD. And, and, and inspiration. Would you call him an inspiration? Yeah, I yeah. would. I uh, would. I yeah. mean, he didn't have as much. He didn't have as much success at Syracuse as I wish he had had. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I know the difference between you know being a good guy and being successful. Sure. Um, but uh, but just seeing a guy, seeing for me personally, just seeing a guy that looked like me that was in that position where I was full of what I was used to being around everybody else being from Chile, going to Syracuse, almost everybody else didn't look like me. Right. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden here comes this guy who was a role model to me. You know what I mean? So True. it was great to be around him in, in, in that aspect. Just, just remember you are way better looking. Just, just, you know. hey. Well, they tell me I look like Dino Babers now, so who knows? There you go. And yeah, that, that's not a bad comparison. And that's, that's a nice yeah, compliment. If I had Dino Babers' money, I'd be okay. That's right. Oh, wouldn't we all? <laughs> I hate to do this to you, but initially, did you think that Gross was out to just get Pasqualoni? Well, I mean, I think if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, but I thought that he announced to the media that there wouldn't be any changes to the coaching staff and things of that nature. And then quickly after the bowl game, things spiraled and, and he, he, he made the changes that he had to make. I personally think that it was a situation where Daryl Gross asked Coach P to make some changes on the coaching staff, and Coach P was loyal to those guys, and he didn't want to make the changes. And Daryl Gross said, if you're not going to make the changes, then I'm going to have to let you go. That's just my opinion. I don't know if that is, is fact. That's just my opinion. I think that Coach P, his loyalty got the best of him. Okay. Well, believe it or not, it, it was not gross. It was the chancellor at that time who made that statement that gave Pasqualoni that uh, vote of confidence, if you will. Uh -huh. Nancy, but but yeah. you, were, you were on the right track, though, for, for sure. So... Yeah. Six days later, December 21st, so the, let me go back for a second. December 15th is when Gross is announced as a new AD. December 21st, you guys go down to Orlando and play Georgia Tech in the Champ Sports Bowl. And you get blown out 51-14 and finish 6-6 six and six for the second straight season. It was a very disappointing way to end the season and mm -hmm. your career. Right. Before we get to the end of Pascal and his tenure, 
How did you feel after that game, knowing it was your last one in a Syracuse uniform? Uh, you know, it goes by so quickly, Tim. It really goes by fast. You know, you, you get into school when you're in high school and uh, right after high school, and, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's five, like the five year. I redshirted, and then yeah. like the five years just flew by. It was like every single day living on campus, it was just like my life. You know, I didn't even think twice about it, you know? And then all of a sudden, one day, boom, all those games, those 50 games that you were lined up for Syracuse, those games are over, you know? And, yeah. and, and um, you start getting nostalgic during certain times, but geez, it goes by so fast. I just, I don't know what else to really say about it, except that it just, it flew by. And I guess time flies when you're having fun, I guess. That's, there you go. So the bowl game is on December 21st. On December 29th, Gross announces the firing of Paul Ascoloni. How uh-huh. did you and the team hear of the news? Did Gross tell the team before telling the press? Uh, he might have told the team for the coming season, but at that point, I was already out. Okay. So I was out of the loop. Okay. I was out of the loop by that point. Um, however, I was still on campus, and I was lifting and working out and everything like that, but um, being actual part of the team, the SU team at that point was over with. Um, so if he did meet with the team, which I hope he did, um, I, I wouldn't know, though. How did it, I'm sure you were still talking to teammates of yours, even though you were no longer with the program. How did mm-hmm. the team feel about it to your recollection? Um, some guys were disappointed. Some guys weren't, you know, some sure. guys were, you know, some guys expected it. Some guys were, you know, closer to coach P and the coaching staff than other guys were, you know? So, um, but I think that, you know, at that level, everyone, everyone understands that it's a business yeah. and everybody understands that, either win or go home. And, uh, you know, as a coach and as a player, I mean, I've been fired as a coach, you know, you either win or you go home period. And, uh, we didn't, we didn't win enough for them to let him be comfortable. Do I think that he deserved more time as head coach? Yeah. I think he deserved another year or two to see what's up, but you know, I can understand why changes were made. Um, but if that, if it was me as athletic director, I probably would have given him another year or two. So just to see what can happen. That's interesting, because my next question for you is, you were done with the program. How did you feel about it at that time? Like, were you were you upset? Did you feel bad for Pascaloni, or were you just like, man, it happens, man, got to move on? Yeah, huh? I, was, I, I was. I didn't feel bad. I wish I could have played. We all. I wish we all as a unit could have played better for him to keep his job. But I mean, let's be honest. I mean, he's doing getting paid a lot of money. And when you coach at that level, you get fired. And before you even, before you even take out the trash at the end of the week, the guys have another new job. So right. it's like, he was able to get on, get on. He got on at UConn. Now he's coaching in the NFL. So I felt more bad for myself than I did him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my career was over. It yeah. kept on going. So, Piascoloni finished his 14-year career at Syracuse, 113-59 and 1. It is now officially 107, uh, 59 and 1. They uh, wiped out, unfortunately, your guys' six wins from 2004 due to uh, NCAA violations. But yeah, and I don't even know what it was to be honest with you. Yeah, and that's okay. Whether he's 113 or 107, it is still good for second in school history 
in both uh-huh. tenure and in wins behind the legendary Ben Schwartzwalder. That's Correct. ahead of Dick McPherson in mm-hmm. both categories. I think a lot of people forget that McPherson didn't even spend 10 years at the helm at Syracuse. Yep. Would you yep. say that Pasqualoni was underrated as a head coach? And is he underappreciated by Syracuse fans? Yes and yes. Okay. What do you think? Yes and yes. What do you really think cost him his job? Uh, like I said earlier, I think I think loyalty got the best of him. Okay. I think that he could have made some changes. I think that him and George were really close, George DeLeon. And, and this is just my opinion, mm-hmm. but I think that I think that changes were asked to be made, especially with when it comes to George. Either take the reins back from George or get rid of George and. Uh, Coach P didn't want to do so, and I think that that's why they eventually uh, let him go. So you don't, so you don't think it was as much pressure from the fans and the media on Kraut Hamlin and eventually Gross. You think it was more so? Well, hey, I mean, anytime you get a new AD, you know that, that guy wants to make a splash and not, wants to hire his own guy. Don't get it twisted. I mean, don't. I mean, Daryl Gross. I'm sure he 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 wanted to hire and, and be known as the guy who hired the next big head coach. Uh, tried the guy who hired somebody that got Syracuse back to eight, nine, ten wins. Um, but uh, unfortunately, um, as much as Daryl Gross might have known about administering an athletic department, I don't think he knew about who to hire for Syracuse University athletics football. Yeah. And Syracuse is a team that's full of Syracuse is a town that's full of tradition, full of people that are passionate about their team, their sports team, their local team, mm-hmm. and. There's so many alumni that are involved in coaching that are from New York State or that are just Syracuse graduates, and the hire a guy from University of Texas uh, in uh, Greg Robinson uh, was the wrong move, and I, I think that ultimately defined uh, Daryl Gross's tenure at Syracuse just was making that first initial hire and it being such a poor hire that he was never able to uh, catch himself back up. Man, you are you are so good. This is because you just like I barely have to ask this question to you, because but I'm going to ask it because I I want you to build up on what you just said. Many people blame Greg Robinson with the, for the demise of the program, and, mm-hmm. and and Dino Babers for the rescuing of it, at least as it looks right now. Mm-hmm. Some, though, would say that started under Pasqualoni. You mentioned more that you, it, it almost sounded like you more blame Gross for the demise of the program. Is it well, more? I mean, it, 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 I, I don't blame him per se. I mean, he can't coach the kids. He doesn't have anything to do with the day-to-day operation of the football team. Right. But he is in charge of who's hired and who's fired. Right. And I wish that he just would have made a better hire. Somebody, I wish you would have hired Dino Babers 15 years ago, you know. Um, but but it, it's just like an NFL team, you know. You hire, you, you draft this quarterback, and you just hope that this is the quarterback that's going to finally make your franchise worthwhile. And then all of a sudden, this guy who made a killing in college ends up being a bum in the NFL. That that drives me nuts. Well, it, it, that drives exactly me what insane. happened with the coach. I mean, just, just to me, that drives me so insane. Not to go off on that tangent. But, like, as a fan, that's our job to hope that he's the guy. Right. But when you are the coach, 
or the and the recruiting director, or if you're in the NFL and you're the coach or the GM, and you've got you've you've got recruiting guys in the college level who help scout these players for you, and you've got a full scouting staff in the NFL. Why do why do so many coaches and GMs and both college and NFL seem to get quarterback wrong? Because it's the hardest position to play in sports. Okay. And there's no precise rhyme or reason. Like Tim, you're a Bills fan. Yeah. I'm a Raiders fan. Which makes you I, wrong. And and Matt Patricia, Matt Patricia was a GA at Syracuse when I was there. And now he's the head coach of the Lions. Right. Okay. Half the half the Detroit Lions coaching staff right now were former coaches at Syracuse when I was there. Right. Including Pascaloni. Including Pascaloni. Um but what, what what was the original question? I forgot. I'm sorry. Who who do you blame? Well, well, actually, no. The original question is why do so many coaches get it wrong? But you answered it oh, already. Oh. You answered right. it. right. But but I also want I also wanted to say you're a Bills fan. Yeah, I'm a Raiders fan. We hate the Patriots. Yes. I'm still bitter about the Tuck Rule. But let's be honest, them sons of guns got lucky with Tom Brady, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I mean, I mean, I mean, they just got literally they got lucky. Yeah. And it could have been any franchise. It just happened to be them. And um, so I think it's just a matter of luck. It's just like, you know, who would have known Patrick Mahomes was going to be what he did, what he is? I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll say who, this. Who would have known that Marcus Russell was going to be one of the biggest busts in the NFL? Ever? Yeah. Yeah. He's you definitely know? top. I mean, he's definitely known? top three. But, I mean, he's definitely right. top three for boss. What he did in college, and you think, oh, geez, he's going to be fine. Yeah. Nope. Let me so let me say this on Mahomes. Of, of, of guessing. Let me say this on Mahomes. A, a lot of Bills fans, and I'm I'm talking to the faithful here, are like, man, we could have had Mahomes. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't guarantee that Mahomes would have even had half of the season that he had last year in Kansas City had he been with the Bills and that wide receiver core and that offensive line. I mean, that was a horrible offensive group, you know, yeah. which it was not in Kansas City. You know, right. like like to out and out say, could it, you know, Mahomes would have been so much better. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if he even throws for 2,500 yards with – Robert Foster is his number one receiver. <laughs> I, right. I mean, I, well, he had, Ty, he had Tyree Kill, so I guess he's okay. And he had Chris Kelsey as his tight end versus having Charles Clay. Right. <laughs> you know, but I digress. Let's get back to Pascaloni here. <laughs> what do you think is Pascaloni's legacy as a Syracuse head coach? Does he even have one? I think he has one, but I just think that it's long forgotten because, you know, time like like we live in the information age, man, and mm-hmm. people want the answers and they want them now, and people aren't really worried about what happened 15 years ago. Now the old, the old school fans, mm-hmm. the lifelong fans, the guys, anyone who was bo- that was born in probably the the mid 80s or before that, you know, they know who Paul Pasquale is. But these kids coming up in high school right now, they don't know who Paul Pasquale is. They don't care. They know who Dino Babers is. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I don't know how important it is to him, you know. But someone like me, I'm 37 years old. I know who Coach P is. I know who Ben Schwartzwalder is and Dick McPherson, but I don't think these young kids nowadays know 
the line of in the lineage of coaches, whether they were good or bad coaches. I don't know who Scott Schaefer is. They don't know who Greg Robinson is. They're worried about what's going on right now and uh, and, and and how can I get the information immediately. By the way, one thirteen fifty nine and one with only mm-hmm. one losing season. They, he he <laughs> went to nine bowl games, six and yeah. three. By the way, in those nine bowl games. I, you know, in the modern era of college football, that's a heck of a record. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's, I mean, I'd say that's one of the a top 25 coach. Uh, uh, for, and able to, and he was able to do it for almost 15 years. Yeah. I mean, and, and hey, it wasn't by accident that you got Donovan McNabb, you know, I, I mean, that's going to be its own like series of shows. We'll probably do one year at a time. With, with on Donovan McNabb, and if you yep. want to help me break down Donovan McNabb's Syracuse run, we could have you on for that too. And, <laughs> Whatever that, you want, that right. would be great. Um, have you spoken to Coach Pascaloni since you have graduated? And is there anything that you would want Syracuse fans to know about him that maybe we just don't know about Pascaloni? Um, the last time I talked to Coach T, I was I was at the National Coaches Convention in I think I was in Nashville, either Nashville or or Orlando. Okay. Um, and I ran into him and you know had a nice conversation with him and everything like that. Um, what do I want fans to what say it again? What do I want fans to, to know it, about him? That maybe we just don't know. Is there is there something kind of behind the scenes about Coach Pascaloni that we just never got to see? Like was he a oh, like was he a joke teller? Did he pull a good? No, he was just he was just no. I don't you know I I don't think he was the type to be to 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 leave anything to surprise. You know, um, right? He was just he was a hard nosed defensive blue collar guy, straight up. That's just what he was, and he wasn't the relationship building type. He was the kind of guy that's going to tell you how it is. He's going to tell you what you are, he's going to tell you what you're not. You know what I mean? The movie quote, like, I'm going to tell you what you are, and I'm going to tell you what you're not. And if you're a bum, he'd tell you if you're a bum. And if you did well, he'd tell you you did well, straight up. And uh, I respected him for that. Yeah, I, I, I do too. I, I appreciate And I appreciate you taking a time out of your day, busy, busy schedule for you this time of the year. Uh, yep. Man, oh, man. Andre, where can we follow you, and where can we watch and uh, listen to you, man? Go ahead and tell everybody. Well, I'm super busy. You're right. This time of year during football season, it keeps me very busy. Uh, I'm coaching ball at McQuaid Jesuit High School. We open up this Saturday at 1 o'clock. Uh, well, this podcast might come out after that. But we play uh, Saturday, 1 o'clock, against Aquinas at Frontier Field. First time ever there's been a football game at the baseball field in Rochester. So uh, we're super excited to be a part of that. That's amazing. And uh, hopefully finally get a W against Aquinas for the first time since 2006. So uh, we're excited about that. Um, you can see me on Spectrum Cable, uh, Spectrum Sports Channel, Friday night. I'm calling the uh, Pittsburgh versus Hilton game at Hilton Friday night. And Thursday night, tomorrow night, you can catch me on Rochester Sports Network. Uh, I got a new new uh, new blog, I should say. It's a new blog dedicated to Syracuse football called the Ozone Show, um, the Orange Zone Show, and that's going to be on Rochester Sports Network Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Uh, it's going to be filmed from Bill Gray's Tap Room. It's going to be a tap room tour, and we're really excited about that. I got an alumni coming on and doing a show with Jamil Dumas, who played linebacker at Syracuse with Coach P as well. 
Um, so we're doing our we're doing our thing and just staying busy, staying relevant, and just you know just trying to work, man. Just that's all I'm doing. You can follow me on Instagram, uh, dre12821, or you can follow me at Coach Font eighty two. Coach underscore font 82 on Twitter as well. So I'm around, man. I'm just busy and I'm just, I'm happy to talk to you and, uh, and, and I hope you're doing well, man. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to hear you too. And we will keep in touch with you, Andre. Thank you so much. Have a good time, brother. Thank you again. All right. All right, Tim. I'll talk to you guys soon. Yep. I hope you have a good night. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. 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 All right. That was Andre Fontenot. So just so you know, as you are listening to this now, that game against Aquinas had already happened. You can check sectionvfootball.org for your uh, local Section 5 high school football team schedule. But you can catch Andre, Andre all football season long on Spectrum Sports. And as he mentioned, Thursday nights, 8 o'clock on Rock Sports Net, the Ozone Show, going to be all about Syracuse football. You can check that out with him as well. I want to thank you so much for taking your time to enjoy this podcast and this trip back in the memory lane. This podcast is all about the history of the Bills, Syracuse, and the Sabres. And we'll have some Sabres topics coming your way very soon. Don't forget, please give us a five-star rating anywhere that you enjoy podcasts and Hit that subscribe button, please. That would help us out big time. Also, word of mouth is still fantastic. If you enjoy the show, please tell your friends about us. The more, the merrier, as always. Speaking of which, we keep it live and current. Coming up every Sunday night will be Bills and Syracuse post-game reaction and thoughts. Sunday nights at 9.30 p.m. over on the WNYPLA Facebook page. It is the weekly meeting video cast for the Western New York Brian Loyalty Administration. I take your questions live, answer them right then and there. You can check that out. Don't forget, check out the shop at WNYPLA.com. Rock the badge, whether it's blue and red, blue and orange, or blue and gold, whatever your shade of blue, we have it for you. On that note, special thank you again to Andre Fontenet, and thank you to you. All right, glad you were joining us here as part of this Thunder Media broadcast. Don't forget... Go Bills, go Sabres, go Cues. Tell someone at home you love them. I am Tim Samsell. We'll catch you next time.